Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Fisherman's Post Saltwater Podcast series. This episode is titled The Cobia Run out of Oregon Inlet. I'm going to be talking with Bill Gorham of Boat Up Lures out there on the Outer Banks, Southern Shores. We're going to be talking about when to start fishing, when to start looking, sight casting tips. Then we're going to go to the tried and true chumming tactics. And we're going to finish up with a little conversation about how Boat Up Lures came about. My name is Gary Hurley of Fisherman's Post. Fisherman's Post has been serving the saltwater fishing community since 2003. We've been bringing you fishing reports, fishing information, fishing tournaments, fishing schools, and here in our latest and greatest effort, the Fisherman's Post Saltwater Podcast Series. And it is in this series where we reach out to our captain and guide friends from up and down the North Carolina coast, ask them to share with us their insights, their knowledge on how to catch more fish more often. And in this pursuit on this creative project, I am joined every week by Billy Thorpe of Thorpe Creative. Billy, welcome to a show talking about one of my favorite species, man, chasing cobia. Hey, what's up, Gary? Yeah, man. Um, I'm pretty excited, even though I've never caught a cobia. So I've <laughs> I've a lot to learn. I don't even know if I've been cobia fishing. I think I've been on the boat before and they're like, look out for a floating thing and if, something you know, brown something brown i won't say what they said it looks like floating in the water but <laughs> you guys can imagine something brown floating anyway i'm gonna come off the bad jokes but yeah man, i'm excited to learn more and i've heard a lot about boat up lures so uh, i'm excited to to get to know the the people behind the curtain and uh and get to know about their business and learn how to cobia fish so maybe when i get back to north carolina i can go on someone's boat with you gary and someone can hook one and hand me the rod just stay out of my way man just stay away from the bow <laughs> of the boat and stay out of my way yeah that's a whole episode we should do like we just interview people who's been on the boat with gary and what a savage this guy <laughs> is to fish with that's what we should that's a good episode i'm gonna write that one down that'll be a special selfish, one. a selfish angler <laughs> selfish my boat <laughs> i'll beat you to the rod every time Wait, whose name's on the fisherman's post? That's mine. Give me that rod. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> I cannot confirm nor deny that accusation. I can confirm all day. All right. And I can also confirm that we have some awesome sponsors sponsoring the show. So we'll get right into it. Uh, we got Bland Landscaping Company. Uh, these guys are great. They um, have a great business. Landscaping business been around since 1976. A great company to work for. And they're all over the state of North Carolina. And they reached out to us and said, hey, we're listeners of the show, uh, big fans of it, and want your community to come over and, and be a part of our community, come and be a part of our workplace. Uh, so this is Bland Landscaping, and they are looking for people to come on, be a part of their team. And as I always say, they went, you know, get up early, go to work early, get off get off early, and go get on the boat and, and, uh, and go do some fishing. So really cool company, really cool guys. Um, so go over there if you're looking for a new – new career opportunity and then yeah so that's it and if you want to yeah i mean gary if you want them to come over your yard and do some landscaping i'm sure they could do that as well i would love that man i mean you know what do you want to do you want to go fishing you want to work in the yard like i'll bring them over work in the yard that sounds perfect yeah and i think they can do like big stuff like build a tunnel in your yard or something if you wanted so all right <laughs> something crazy you know, all right you well, let, me go, let me go let me think on it <laughs> yeah Kids, you want a tunnel right to the water? We can slide. We can do that. <laughs> All right. And then next up, we got Marine Warehouse Center. Been with us for 
over 100 episodes, I believe, and really appreciate those guys. Got a quick message from them, and we'll be right back. In Warehouse, we have everything. We have new boats, we have parts, we have accessories, new trailers. We have a complete service department with highly trained technicians. Anything you need to get out on the water, we have. At Marine Warehouse Center, as we've grown over the last few years, now have a large section of marine supplies from start to finish for all your boating needs. What I love about this region is to be able to get out on the water, and also we love to be able to get you out on the water. The best part of working at Marine Warehouse is being able to get involved with the customers and share a love for the water. And they have awesome hats. They do. <laughs> the patch I'm, hat, the camo, they're stylish, man. They know they they know yeah. what's hip. They know what's up. So go over there, support those guys. Uh, even if you go in, buy a t-shirt, buy a hat, long sleeve, whatever you need for the water, uh, but then buy a boat. And just tell your wife, hey, I'm going to buy a hat from Marine Warehouse. Pick up a hat, buy a boat, and just say like, just lie to her. Just say they gave it to you. Just say, honey, you know that podcast I love? Well, I want to show my appreciation by going to one of their their biggest sponsor and buying a boat because I love the podcast that much. I'm going to go buy a boat. Yeah, that'd be perfect. Like, no, honey, the hat, I swear the hat was 20 or the hat was 60 grand. The boat, that was that was $20. Like, <laughs> promise. I bought the hat, not the boat. Anyway. Well, Terrell there, I mean, they're busy. And as they're getting ready for the new season, Terrell might be so busy. I'm not sure. He may have told me this one before. I feel like I've heard it before. If not from Terrell, I've heard it from someone. You might have a better memory than me, but are you ready for Terrell's joke? Again, Terrell's joke, not mine. Sure. I'm ready for it. How much does it cost a pirate to pierce his ears? I, I don't know. A buccaneer? <laughs> okay, that's pretty funny. That one's pretty funny. I You've not told that one, or Terrell has not told that Terrell. one. Terrell. That's not told that one. He's a, a good comedian. Buccaneer. Google, I mean, Terrell is really good at this. <laughs> so, Billy, I think we have a cobia fish photo, and I am hot for cobia fishing. Ready to talk to Bill. Show me a cobia fish photo, please. All right, here we go. We got Peter Paris from Fayetteville with a 47-inch cobia. He pulled in at the Mason Bro jetty using dead bait on a drum rig. He was fishing with his dad, Nick Paris, right there on the right. So, so we got Peter on the left holding the fish. His dad on the right. That fish was so so long, I couldn't even get it all in the photo. I had to crop him out a little bit. I need to do a photo podcast. I need to tell them people hold it horizontal, man. What are you doing with that <laughs> vertical fish being cropped out? Uh, when's my podcast? When's my fish photo podcast? Yeah, right? That's what we do. Just go through photos and critique critique the, how they hold their fish. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to channel Beavis and Butthead for that one uh, when I'm critiquing people holding their fish. Oh, man. Well, look, um, we are going to come back to you for Billy's best takeaway after my conversation with Bill. And again, we're not going to continue to do this, but a quick reminder, weekly fishing reports via Fisherman's Post. If you've wished for more current information, Fisherman's Post has the answer in 2022 online only. So not in print version. That's still a monthly paper. Online audio and visual audio and video delivery, inshore only, behind a paid wall, charter memberships available, reasonable cost after that. So go online, fishermanspost.com, and check it out. But right now, I'm excited to talk Cobia with Bill of Boat Up Lures, Billy. So stay tuned. All right, Bill Gorham, Boat Up Lures, man, pleasure to have you on the show, man. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you. Say get bowed up or get showed up. 
I like it, man. I, I do like it. I, I like the name. I like the product. I have caught a Cobia on a boat up bucktail before. But as even with that, though, no one gets on the show without answering two questions. Are you ready for your two questions, sir? Absolutely. Question number one, why should we listen to anything you have to say about a Cobia? You probably shouldn't. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Uh, this will be my 15th year fishing for Cobia. Chased them from anywhere from Hatteras all the way up to Chesapeake Bay. Uh, we actually look to go a little bit further north this year as the stock expands. Um, this will be my eighth year of making Cobia bucktails and in the fishing industry. Um, and hopefully can provide a little bit of insight, a little rationale why Cobia fishing or why I love it and why many others end up falling in love with it. And maybe you can book a charter or run out with your own boat and get boat up on a nice Cobia. All right, man. That is an acceptable answer to question number two. For I mean, uh, question number one. For question number two, as tradition goes, a non-fishing related question. I had to work for this one. I got to come up with it. This is a little bit of a setup. Boat up. I like it. A phrase sometimes used for people who are puffed up before fighting. And when I think of fighting, I went to Muhammad Ali. So this is your trivia question about Muhammad Ali. Do you know what incident happened when he was 12 years old that set him on a path of boxing? He got beat up. Close. <laughs> That's a good guess, but it was close. Man, someone stole his bike. And he was telling the officer, someone stole my bike. He's like, man, you got to learn how to fight. Thank I happen to be a boxing trainer. Come on down to the gym. And that was the start of Muhammad Ali's boxing career. A true legend. A true legend. All right, man. So with Cobia, and everyone anticipates it, everyone is on social media waiting for some photos, waiting for some reports. I don't want to wait on social media. I want you to help me out, man. You're up there in Oregon Inlet. What gets you What gets you in the know that you're thinking, man, it's time to start hunting? I tell you, historically, we used to look at the water temperature map, and we'd, we'd look at that hard break of about 68 degrees. Um, the more recent years, probably the past five years, um, anything in the 60s, 61, 62, um, but really, what is one of the best indicators is, say, if the Spanish are skying, get the eye in. Um, there's cobia around. Uh, for whatever reason, those two species um, seem to move together. Um, but it's ultimately that temperature. Um, there's some indications of cow nose rays. Usually when you see them show up, passing by the piers, seeing them on social media, all around the docks. Uh, moving through the inlets along the coast, um, those cobia are are soon to be following. Um, so that's really the time. Again, it used to be mid-May. Anymore, we're seeing them show up in late April, mid-April. Um, I had a guy shot one year. Um, I caught one, and he was drum fishing in March and caught one at the point. So really, it's temperature-driven, uh, but also... Um, so correlations with other species that you see um, that lets you know it's, it's time to get up in that tower or set up that chum bucket and uh, go after them. So, man, I, I guess I'm guilty of not really knowing the habit. Are we talking about migrating from south to north? Is that what's happening in this time period? And is it just instinctual? Are they chasing bait or is it just chasing water temp? 
Well, we've actually helped write grants for several studies, um, and there's clear that there is an east-west migration um, to where there's a, a group or stock of fish that winter um, right on the drop-off off the coast of Hatteras all the way down to Wilmington. Um, then they'll move west, which is into the beach, and then up into the Chesapeake Bay and further. And then there's other evidence of fish that will uh, migrate along the beach north and south. Um, and it's mostly down to that Jacksonville area. Um, and some of them hit that shelf offshore and they ride it all the way down to Florida. So it's a little bit of both, but there's definitely a lot of east-west migration. Do you know what causes that migration? Like, again, what what inside them pushes them to make that journey? Really, it, it seems like temperature, but also migratory patterns of other species. Um, in the Chesapeake Bay, a lot of what we end up fishing on towards the end of the season is those cow-nose rays, um, and they stack up real thick. And as they tend to move off, those fish are following them. Um, but overall, the big push seems to be temperature. Okay. Well, man, so as far as the timing goes, we got the temperature, we've got some confidence. And so I like how we're starting with sight casting because I think that's where people's heart lies, even though Chelman can easily outproduce. But sight casting is sort of the, the affinity, the love affair. So if, if I'm on a boat with you, you've got confidence and we're headed out of Oregon Inlet. What's your plan, man? Is it only to look? Do you have a destination in mind? Like, how do you approach that day? Well, it's usually to follow old Daniel DOA wherever he goes <laughs> in his prop wash. <laughs> no, there, there's uh, if you if you can find a hard temperature change, it's really good because what you actually have is that warm water will go up above the cold water, and cobia don't have a swim bladder, so that's why also you'll find them on tide changes or inlet changes. Uh, where those two competing currents or water temperatures um, will actually create what we call a, a rip or wakey water, where that water is rising up to the top, and that's where those fish will be. That's why a lot of us believe that we see them on top in the spring, but we don't see them on top in the fall when they're heading back down. Um, so there's some there's some structure areas. Um, there seems to be some aggregate areas and it's probably with some hard bottom um, that they, they tend to go to. Um, I'm, I'm a little hesitant to give locations. Oh, yeah. It wasn't fishing for locations, so I should have <laughs> been clear uh, about that. But it, it, anymore, you'll see the boats, so it, it, it's not difficult. But really, you can't go wrong on a tide change, um, the inlet change, um, where you have real muddy water going to the clear ocean water. Um, and then you know, where there used to be an inlet, we call it the Lego Bridge, or formerly the Lego Bridge. Um, there seems to be aggregation there. Um, there's some humps off Rodanthe, and, and even changes to the bottom where it may be 50 foot and then jump up to 30 feet. It seems like those fish hit that change, they start heading up and they look up and they just keep going up, um, which is really interesting. Um, and that's what's really cool about this fish. It's, it's the perfect mixture between hunting and fishing because um, you're up in 
pretty much a tree stand that's on a boat or you know a tower and uh you're just looking and you see so many different things you see so much aquatic life you know from sea turtles porpoises and uh and then boom you'll see you know sometimes a pack of cobias sometimes a single and during that spring run the really awesome part about it is you can see schools of 100 200 cobia um, that could be anywhere from 15 pounds to 60 80 pounds um aaron kelly who's a one heck of a cobia fisherman probably the one of, if not the best on the East Coast, is out of Oregon Inlet. And I've got the fish in his prop wash quite a bit. Yeah, but he uh, he knows where the big ones are at. And uh, it's been a, a fishery that I've definitely fallen in love with. I know a lot of other people have enjoyed it. Um, and it get, it's a little change of pace. You know, you don't have to worry about trolling gear. You don't have to worry about bouncing on the bottom or changing out your bait. You can really just hit it four or five knots, or you can go 10 knots, however fast you want to go, and just look around. And uh, when you see a fish, you um, cast a lure or a live bait, even though we're a little anti-live bait, only because of bitterness. But if, if it needs a heartbeat to bite, you know, give them a, an eel or a spot or a croaker, and, uh, and you get to see the fish um, bite the lure. You know, and call it entice the bite. Um, so there's different ways to get the fish to, to finally bite the lure because sometimes they'll just follow the lure all the way up to the boat. And uh, that's my favorite way of fishing is sight casting, whether it be weed lines for little dolphin or bass fishing along the bank. Um, and the, the other great thing about Kobe and what makes it appealing to so many people is that they're hard fighting fish, um, they range in size. And they're great tasting. And the biggest plus is, too, that they have a very low mortality, release mortality, um, which is great. So, you know, you're not causing any damage to the stock. So, man, as far as sight casting goes and, you know, out there, Oregon Inlet Way, wind is a fact of life. So as far as conditions go, like, when is it just too much? Like, when is it like, man, sight casting isn't going to happen, whether it's too much wind or not enough sun? Like, what's the threshold? <laughs> I'll I tell you that it, it's changed so much. Um, I never would have thought of going out on a cloudy day or a real windy day, except for the past three years, we've had very, it's almost like a nor'easter hit. Um, not saying that you can fish in a true nor'easter. Um, but we've had a lot of rainy weather. And if you're going to go out when it's cloudy, it needs to be pure clouds. Um, otherwise, you're going to get glared out. So if you know, there's a lot of sun shining through um, the clouds, so they're not real thick, not dark, it, it's hard. And then also the type of water that you're fishing in. You know, if it's clearer water, you, know, you can kind of get away um, without the sunlight. But then the wind factor, um, you know, if you're looking at, well, I've fished in really, really windy, and, and it's been good, but most, it's not the most enjoyable um, way to fish for them. So up here on the, the, on the northern beaches above the point there in Hatteras, um, you, know, you get the southeast 
to actually southwest winds or a true west wind. It'll create a little bit of a water temperature break and also bring up those bottom-dwelling fish, which, again, Kobe is primarily uh, fish, uh, lives on the bottom. doesn't fish on the bottom. It is fish. Um, so, and also those rays, that southern rays that they'll migrate with up and end. Um, so that'll get them along the beach. And it usually brings in the fat back or bunker when you have those type of winds. Um, a northeast wind, it tends to push the fish down. Um, you can, I've definitely had less success. You know, there's a lot of people who think that it pushes that warm water in when you have an east or northeast, the southeast wind. But it, it's a bit more challenging to fish for them um, when there's not some type of break, whether it be water temperature um, or just a, a tide break. And when you have those type of winds, it kind of breaks all of that up and uh, spreads them out. So, man, uh, I follow all that. And if I'm, again, I guess I'll just use this sort of analogy. Like if I'm on your boat, I'm guessing you're up in the tower. Maybe you got me up in the bow of the boat. What's what's the speed that you like to sort of when you're in a searching mode? When you got confidence that fish are going to be in the area, how does that work out, man? Four one, to five, one, is that what you said? One or two knots. I go as slow as I can go. Um, I, I've always felt comfortable, especially if you have a feeling or you're on a, you know, a particular bottom, if you've seen a fish, um, a lot of times, you know, if it's a slow day, we'll get up on, on plane. And as soon as we run over a fish, we're going to work that area. Normally that, that time of year, when you see a fish, there's other fish there and you can just work that area. And there's really not a terrible rush especially if you're seeing a fish here or there. Sometimes it's just a matter of them rising up and you being at the right place at the right time to where um, if you're going too fast, your motor's you know, sounding off. Um, you, you think you're covering more ground, um, but are you really covering it if you can't see it and study it? And that, it also has to do um, with the amount of sun, how clear the water is. Um, is there any type of wave actions where you can see those fish in the waves? You know, if it's flat calm, you, know, you almost have to be a couple of both lengths away from them to see them. And if you're going too fast, you're going to run right over them. Um, and then if you're working pods of Menhaden, you know, sometimes we've sat and just floated along with the school. And every now and then a fish will rise up from right underneath of it where if you were working it too hard, you would have gone right past them. They've known they're there. And then, uh, so do you usually orchestrate the boat with, say, you or someone in the tower and then someone in the bow of the boat? My biggest thing is try to fish with people or get an agreement. One person is going to drive the boat. The other person is going to cast. Um, a lot of times what you'll do is if the fish is on your side, the other guy's taking the wheel and vice versa. And then your whole job, the person that's driving the boat, is keep that boat in the best position for that angler to catch the fish. Because sometimes it may take two or three casts. Your first cast may not be the best. Um, to where if everybody in the boat's throwing or the two people up top are throwing, nobody's driving the boat. And the boat ends up going past the fish or the fish changes direction. And then you got to wait to reel in. And then you're not looking at where the fish is going and then you lose the fish. 
So, the, you know, really the most effective way is you have one person driving the boat, positioning the boat, and the other person, or two people if there's one down at the bottom, in the bow, um, casting and keeping eyes on the fish. And then what do you have in my hands up there in the bow? Like, again, if I'm on your boat, I guess a little bit question rod and reel, but more terminal tackle. Like what, what you, I mean, I know it's going to be a boat up lure, but you know, walk <laughs> me through, walk me through the setup. I, I personally fish with the 5,500 spin fisher. Um, depending on how many times I'm going to go, it'll be between 30 and 40 pound braid. Um, and then it's going to be to 120 pound swivel then to an 80 pound leader and that 80 pound leader is going to allow me to if i need to to grab the leader and either gaff the fish or net the fish and also you know, any rubbing on the the rails or gaffs you know when they're flopping around the boat or in in the fish box it, you know 80 pound is a strong um, pound test it's not too heavy it's not too light and the same thing goes with the, the 30 to 40 pound braid I know uh, the the old school way used to be a nice little ugly stick, a BG forty five and eighty pound braid, you know, and and horse them in, and it it, it kind of depends upon your setup too on your boat what you feel comfortable with. You know, if you, if you have to, uh, you know, the larger boats, you know, they may want to get the fish in faster. They may be rubbing up on the rails a lot more, so they'll go with a stronger um, pound test, but. You know, if you're in a center console, you know, that the safest is that 40 pound braid to a swivel to an 80 pound leader. And uh, you go medium heavy. I like having a little bit fast action tip, but the rod has to have some backbone because, again, the, they are good fighting fish. And you're going to have to walk them into the boat um, to either net them or gaff them. So, man, when you're talking about 80 pound is good size leader to grab. We talking about a pretty long leader then that you like i usually go with about 16 inches sometimes 12. um and i usually start out at 16 because if i have to trade out a bucktail um because again you catch a big fish they're going to tear up your bucktail um we, we used to in the before we started making them they they were made with the original jig hooks and they're usually good for about one fish and then you had to trip trade them out or bend the hook back straight um but that that's 16 inches about where you need to be they don't seem to be very leader shy um especially in the spring of the year so there's you know no huge need if you feel like for some reason they're, they're getting a little spooky it's been thrown on a lot you can always go lighter and even shorten up the leader a little bit or make it a little bit longer um or if you feel real comfortable um, tying leader to braid. Um, the one thing I, I hope you feel real comfortable doing it because at the end of the day, they're going to put a lot of pressure on it and it's still leader against braid. All right, man. So I'm talking to boat up. So talk to me about the bucktail, man. Talk to me about what's tied on the end because I'm guessing like other people watch and listen to this podcast, man, we've been to the tackle shop. We've seen the array of like specialty bucktails, like for lack of a better word, like the days of the $4 bucktail are long gone. Like we're spending a lot of money and they look pretty, man. They look like works of art. And I'm, you know, I know there's a functionality to it. So like for you, man, you know, what goes into the decision about size? What goes into the decision of color? 
you know, feather or plastic or walk me through it, man. Give me some, give me some insight. So the, the first bucktail I ever tied, um, I used 80 pound braid as thread. I tied it in my hand. I got some mylar from Bass Pro Shops and put the whole package on. It was a brown top with an orange belly squid head. And uh, I was fishing with a good buddy, Casey, Casey Russell. He's a charter captain now in Florida. And uh, Matt Anderson, who's still charters here in the Outer Banks. And uh, Casey said, you're going to catch a fish with that one. And I thought, yeah, it would probably fall apart. But we were working the inlet change, and he threw an eel at a nice 50, what ended up being a 55-pound fish. And Matt threw a, another store-bought big eye, and I tossed my handmade, homemade uh, bucktail, and the, the fish was hooked, and so was I, on making cobia jigs. And I, I think it was a competitive thing, you know, trying to find – something different you know make it different um we tried different powder paints um I, some of our blends are custom blended here uh, mixing two different paints and measurements of paint we put um, holographic glitter in them um, a lot of them we also airbrush um, one of our most popular is our natural color which is a again custom blended brown um, and we go and buy the very expensive holographic top coat so it's not just brown there's a different look to it we hand dot all the dots and uh we started making that one because i was actually watching rockfish at the fishing pier one day and they wouldn't hit anything and we started noticing they were actually chasing flounder so i, I was hell-bent on making a floundered imitating bucktail um never thinking with all the bright color cobia jigs that are brown and white uh, would actually be the most popular, but it, it has taken off. Um, it, but going down to the thread, um, we we use the flat wax thread, so the wraps look real pretty. And the one thing people really like is to have a lot of flare, so it's very full, um, which really sets any lure apart. Is how much material you're putting in it per lure. Um, you know, we're always happy to break down what, how much material we put in each bucktail, um, the quality of paint, you know, the baking process to make it as as tough and long lasting as possible, um, or the the airbrushing that we do on them, um, and then just the wraps themselves. Um, we we it, it's an it's a more detailed process. It's not just slapping on deer hair um there's many times that i'm taking you know really really small pinches of hair and spreading it out all the way around um, the lure over a base coated color to give it a blended color um, so it has a different effect and and pattern and then we've we've always stuck with the the feathers you know as the trailers because just to me it was natural um, they're beautiful in the water. Um, there's some drawbacks to using plastics uh, when, when you're throwing a lure. Sometimes it'll wrap around and, and get over the hook. And then we try to put as much flash into it and, and appeal. And when you have those feathers as a trailer, a, a wide flare in the hair, a full jig, it, it's just a beautiful thing in the water. 
And as my wife would tell me, you spend entirely too much time on each one. And I'm committed to never sell the lure that I wouldn't fish myself. Um, and, and there's buckets full of ones that just didn't come out right. Um, and then even looking at this year, you talk about the price of them. Um, probably go ahead and say we've been blessed to work with other manufacturers that helped us source cheaper material as far as price still same bucktail just getting it at a cheaper price or getting hooks in bulk at a better deal um that actually allowed me to put more time on the vice you know to give a really unique product and uh this year that has definitely changed to where um, the cost of materials and components and availability of it um it, it's making it hard um we're going to keep it keep pushing on for again i think this eighth year um and we've got some new paint colors out that are really cool effect to where even if you don't catch a uh a kirby on it like the guys down in the panhandle you know they just or even up here in the outer banks on the piers you're going to have a cool looking bucktail um, that's going to turn heads and it's effective Man, that was just what I was looking for. I was looking to understand more about the bucktail that's tied onto the end. So now to go back to the fishing practice, man. So we have a fish in sight. And this is one of the questions I always sort of, I definitely want to ask and, you know, don't know how I feel. But if we see our fish and it's moving, you know, left to right or however it's moving, man, what's the ideal cast? Is it beyond the fish? Is it as close, you know, in front of the fish? like? If you could coach me and get me to cast just the way you want me to, what are the, what's that instruction like? I tell you, I fished with Bill Hogan for many years, who taught me many tips and tricks. Um, so when you throw, the the one of the most important things is not to have a big bow in your line. You know, when you're throwing and you let it out. We actually throw right to the fish, and we'll close the bale to where that lure is falling with minimal slack in our line. Um, the first landing point I personally like is three feet in front and three feet on the other side of it. So that way that, that bucktail is landing in the water, and it's coming right across its face. And I like to throw as far away as, as I can, but also be accurate because that'll give me the, the most distance to work that fish and what will entice a bite. Does he like it slow and methodical? Does he want it ripping? Um, do I have to you know, open the bale, drop it down for a second, jig it up, open, jig it up, open, jig it up um, to get it to finally eat? And, and each fish can be very different, whether it be uh, fast, or slow um some of the old tricks of you know you you throw it out and you'll jig it and then open the bale and let it fall um me personally yeah you know, i if i want to see the fish and i want to work that lure all the way back to the boat as if that fish was following it and again part of that trick is having somebody that's driving the boat that's positioning the boat to allow you um, to, to work the lure. But absolutely, as far as the casting on the fish, if you can get three feet in front of it, three feet on the other side, 
Um, I've always felt you know, it's a safe distance where you're not going to scare the fish. It's going to give you ample time to bring it across its face. Um, and, and one of the methods of you know, jig, jig, reel, or and some of them just like it to be ripped right across their face and they turn and eat it and, and pile in on it. Um, and then there's, uh, on occasion, if you've thrown out a fish a couple times, sometimes you just put it right on their nose and and they bite it just because they're angry at it um my experience personal experience that you know if you throw the lure way out in front of the fish and, and you give them the opportunity to study it um they're less likely to eat it so it's the you're really going for that reaction strike um so in the water cross its face let him eat it get on it and then I guess what you're saying too is like you with accuracy in mind, you like a long cast. So you want that distance from the boat because not so much to scare the fish, the boat, but it gives you more water to work the bucktail to success. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'll follow that. Well, man, I know we want to talk about chumming a little bit and, but I'm enjoying this conversation. I got one more question about the bucktail and, and people ask me to ask this question more when I run into them, man, what knot are you using to tie that bucktail to the leader? Are you tying like a loop knot so that it has action? Or are you tying it tight because we're talking about a hard fighting fish? I, I do a clinch knot. Um, and I try to do it to the front of the eyelet of the jig. Um, so that when I'm throwing, throwing the lure it's going you know head in and head up and it's it's doing this action to where if you tie it and clinch it real tight to the top it has more of a shaky action to it i know we're doing hand gestures here but uh, uh there's a few people that i see would you know would do the loop um but you know when you're dealing with a two ounce bucktail um you're on a boat fish is moving you're moving um you're going to get that action and that's why we have about 12 different head styles um to fit how different people like to fish you know squid heads still kind of zigzag a little bit um our big eyes you know we we have custom molds for that one um that gives it a little more bouncing action or octo heads you know they do the the, the same effect uh, of having more of a pulsating action you know, to get that fish to bite. Then we have what we call the Mega Ziggy, which is, uh, you know, obviously it's not a lot like, but it's the has that same slant as a gotcha head. Um, and you can work that like, like a jerk jigger where it will zigzag back and forth, um, which is a fun lure. And that may be one that you might want to put a loop, loop knot on it. But that clinch knot is, has been tried, true and tested for me personally. And, that's what I would tell people to do. All right, man. I, we could easily just keep talking about sight casting, but since we teased up Chumman in the beginning, we want to we want to do what we said we're going to do. So shift this conversation to Chumman, man. Now I'm headed out of Oregon Inlet, or I'm in Oregon Inlet. I mean, I'm not sure what we're talking about. Tell me about Chumman up your way. Well, I'll tell you, if you got a chum, just quit. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm kidding. Um I tell you, some especially on those days where it's just you know the fish are around and you see them on the bottom machine, um, or it's just too cloudy or it's early in the day. Um, what and really we do a lot in the bay, but I've seen it very effective down at the point at Hatters. 
um, but even you know the, some of those areas around Rodanthia are structures. Um, you, you get your chum bucket with some weight in it, um, and you put that at the stern. And then you get your chum bag, you put that on the bow to where you're going up and down, and that's that's getting a good slick. Um, but it's definitely important, I feel, to have a bucket down at depth um, for those fish that are down below, and then you get one up top. Um, and then really, what we have done or try to do is, you know, two to three rods, you know, one or two with either an eel or a, a croaker, um, and you can put them on the bottom. But you just you try to have it stacked to get those fish at different levels, um, and then always have a bucktail ready or a live bait ready because sometimes those fish will just come right up to the boat down uh, an oil slick and uh just hold on uh, i know there in hatters um in the middle of the summer there's a very effective um bottom fishing chubbing fishery um there's not very many that try it in that green island slough but i can only imagine with the amount of fish that we've seen the past few years and even marking them on the bottom that it would not work um but you know again around the inlet structures um I know down in the southern part of the state, they like going down to the point or the seawall. Um, and that's what, you know, those fish seem to, to like to hang around, especially if they're not migrating. They're hanging around something, whether it be buoys, um, ARs, shipwrecks, inlet changes, wherever they can hang out and eat and, and spawn or, or just moving around with rays or sea turtles. So in these, uh, some of these locales you're talking about, again, more your backyard, whether it's Hatteras or off Rodanthe or in the bay with uh, something down, chumming down low and chumming the surface. What are we talking about, man? Like we're talking about like 20 feet of water, 30 feet of water? Normally, yeah, about 20 feet. Um, I like, you know, there, there's different depth, 32 feet. You know, you, you get down around 50, 60 feet. You know, that's a that's a pretty long um, chum bag and, and a lot of water to try to cover with a slick. Um, so me personally, I, I try to keep it in a shallow, 30 and below, um, sometimes 40. But also, if you can find a ridge, like we were talking about before, that goes, that you know, may go from 50 feet to 30 feet, you know, fishing, setting up inside that 30 getting that chum working so if that fish comes up that ridge you know he'll get that scent trail and start working towards towards your chum line and your bait but it's normally shallower and then you already basically talked about it but i'm just going to circle back and make sure i sort of follow so if we're putting out three lines if we're putting out four lines three lines and staggering you're putting an eel a live eel or a live croaker on the bot like, give me, I guess, give me, I mean, people love specifics. I know they watch, mm -hmm. listen to the podcast. So if I'm putting out three hooks in a chum slick up there, Oregon Inlet Way, tell me which one's on the bottom, which one's in the middle, which one's on the top, and what bait I got on each hook. I would put the dead bait on the bottom. Um, and then in that mid-level is probably where I put my eel. And then we use one of those big orange floats. You know, we'll take out 10, 15 feet uh, of line and then snap it in and let that drift back. Um, so, again, that's where you have your dead bait on the bottom 
And, and if you really wanted to, you could also put your live bait on the bottom. You know, I usually hook it in the tail so it can swim, you know, try to swim off more naturally. It seems like if you hook them in the lip, you know, they just don't swim right um, and, and don't have that natural action. So, um, so that's usually what we do tier level. But if we chum it, it's a dead bait on definitely on the bottom. Um, if you get in that mid level, you get a lot of bluefish and, and other species going after it. And you're going to deal with that chumming. Um, but for gear that we use for that, um, we'll, we'll sometimes go down to an eight alt hook um, to even, depending upon the, the fish that we're seeing, um, go into a six alt. Because obviously you don't want a big, huge hook and a, a small to medium sized spot or croaker or even an eel, um, you, know, you put too big of a hook, they're not going to swim right or it's going to end up killing it um, from just being in it. Um, and we definitely use 80-pound leader on that as well, um, usually about two feet um, to an egg sinker or to a three-way. Um, and we normally get that down with an eight-ounce if we're using a three-way. If we're using a, an inline sinker or an egg weight, yeah, we'll do three or four ounces just to get it down there. And, and the fish can still kind of, you can see that rod bouncing a little bit. Um, and that's that's the chumming scene. All right, man. Well, we are coming to the end of your podcast. I'm going to circle back to the site casting. Man, from your vantage point, you know, because it is getting more and more popular, a lot of new people entering the game. What are some of the biggest mistakes that new got newcomers to the pastime, newcomers to the pursuit make that you see and say that is not helping you out at all? Everybody's on at the same time. That's it. I, honestly, it's um, some people I've gone fishing with. You know, tell me it's your boat. You'll tell me can tell me what to do. But if we see a fish, you can cast all you want. Please just let me keep the boat on it, and if. If that's not to their to their liking, that's totally fine. It's their boat. But uh you really end up catching a lot less fish. Um if you don't have that one person driving the boat and the other person or people casting. Um that's probably one of the biggest mistakes. And then just not having patience. Um in that spring fishery, if you see some fish, there's more fish there. Um, you know, they, they migrate in big pods, you know, they're, they're fairly aggregated because um, it, it is also the time they start spawning. Um, they actually spawn throughout the whole summer. Um, so it's just not having the faith, you know, seeing some fish and always thinking that there's more over the horizon or at, at the next spot or, or chasing phone calls. Um, you know, kind of have your game plan. You know, stick with it, especially if you're seeing fish. Because um, many a time, even me personally, I've fallen victim to it. Because I'm seeing fish, and we've had a tide change, and they're just, they're not up. And it's like, well, they're seeing a couple down there. You run down there, and then you get a phone call an hour, hour and a half later that they're everywhere, where you just left, and it's too late in the day. Um so that, again, and the other thing I try to tell people is try to remember, you know, what the weather was, what the wind was, where you were, 
what was going on as to why those fish may have been there. Um, and it will help guide you, you know, the following year or the next weather pattern. Um, and it makes you a better fisherman all around because um, there's a lot of people that kind of think that there's water, there should be fish there no matter what. And that's, it's not the case at all. Um, so that way you don't have you know, angler disappointment of there should be fish here. It's like, well, it's been blowing southwest and the water temperature's down to 58. You know, they're not going to be here. Well, man, I think I, I thought that was going to be my last question, but I actually thought of one more just while I was sitting there talking to you. I'm sitting here thinking, man, I'm talking to a guy who spent a lot of time Kobe fishing, been on the water. One of the, tell me one of the more creative ways you've seen someone rig a tower on a boat, something that isn't supposed to be a tower, but they made it happen. And that was their tower that day. Give me one example of something that got your attention out there. <laughs> I tell you, um, I had good friends that used a, a, a stepladder and, and they showed some people up. So I have full respect um, for anybody's means or methods to go enjoy the Kobe Sightcast fishery. Um, but seeing either old Granny's Walker or, or one of those medical uh, um, toilet seats <laughs> as the uh, source of the tower on the old Grady White um, with ratchet straps and pretty sure they had some bungee cords. But I, I tell you what, there's some days I wish I had that walker or, uh, or toilet seat to sit down on instead of getting punched around, beat up inside a tower. But uh, but God bless them. It, you know, it just make sure that thing's strapped down real good because um, it can get hairy. I saw one thing on online. I think it was just a joke. It was about a 20 foot John boat with a 15 foot ladder stand <laughs> on it. And, and uh, I didn't see anybody in it. So it may have been a little Photoshop, but I tell you what, if they use that for sight casting the flats, I want to meet them good old boys. <laughs> hey man, boat up lures online and in retail. Online and retail, um, you know, down in the southern part of North Carolina, you know, we're in the Seaview Pier. We got, we're working up another order for Island Tackle. Chasing Tails is our what I call our mothership. Um, they carry our largest stuff. We do their in-house jig heads, um, custom painted mirror lures for them. Um, they carry our full line of trolling spoons. Um, and the great people up here on the Outer Banks, uh, we're about in every shop up here now. Um, that, that's the one thing I'd like to let everybody know is, you know, this started out on the kitchen table and on Avalon Fishing Pier, and it's truly been supported by the community um, through their support, through their suggestions, through their, that looks awful, don't, don't make that again. Um so, so we've truly been blessed with the amount of support. You know, we were up in Virginia as well, Oceans East, um, Bishops, Princess Anne. Uh, if I leave one out, I'll get in trouble. But um, we have a limited selection online. Um, we, we really try to um, you know, promote that partnership with the tackle shops at the current time. 
Um, cause at the end of the day, you know, they buy by the hundreds and it, so far it's worked out fairly well. Um, but we do have plans to expand our online base, but we usually put some stuff up. We'll have jig drops every now and then. Um, we we're trying out a new lure and we'll do giveaways, promos, um, just to keep the buzz going and getting them in people's hands and let us know how they do. And that would be boatuplures.com but we're also on instagram facebook um i have tiktok but i don't use it uh, <laughs> that thing is pretty wild um but it, it, if you're using one of our lures please you know shoot us a message and we'll love to post them up i think this year we're going to start doing a monthly giveaway based on those who uh send us pictures in and we love the kids photos you know, take a kid fishing. It, it, it's, it's the future of this industry and, and outdoor recreation that is uh, is good for the soul. Yeah, man. Bill, I've thoroughly enjoyed the conversation, man. Glad we got together to talk Cobia. Glad we got together to talk Boat Up Lures. And, uh, you know, looking forward to crossing your path in person. Looking forward already to the next time. Thanks so much. Yeah, man. You have a good night. You too. Billy. Are you wiser? Yeah, dude. <laughs> I'm super wise now. There's so much good information. I got to go. I got to go. I got to go find your boat. Get on your boat, Gary. You drive. I fish. I, that's what I took away from this was. All right. You drive. I fish. That's the only thing I, I took away. <laughs> uh, that's a deal, man. That's a deal. I'm not the selfish angler that we joke sure. about. And it'd be, okay. I'd be happy to put you on a big fish, man, on a modest fish, on a small fish. I'd be happy to. What's your best takeaway from Bill Gorham? Yeah, man. So my, you know, one, I, I always pay attention to these captains. If they say something more than once, I, I go, okay, I got to write that down because it's important. Uh, and it is, you know, have somebody in control of the boat the whole time and not everyone casting just a person driving the boat, one or two people casting, you're going to catch more fish. He said it a couple of times. I'm, I wrote it down because I'm like, that's important to him. He's been doing this for a lot longer than anybody I know. So it's important. Now it's important to me. Um, but I don't know how to drive a boat. So once again, I'm fishing. All right. There you go, so man. Let everybody know. And then one more thing, too, I thought was pretty cool that, that he mentioned. And you know, I don't want it to just slip through the cracks. But when you're casting to these fish, to really cast that straight line and not, you know, not bow it up, um, the line bow up. And so I thought that was a, a good takeaway there because, I mean, I, I'm typically the boat up line guy, so I can figure out how to line drive that thing to them. Um, but, yeah, man, those are my two things. Keep in control of the boat, and then when you do have a chance to cast it one, make sure you cast straight and not, not bow it out. So Yeah, man, and that roll assignment on the boat, that's a better conversation to have before you see a fish than after you <laughs> see a fish because once you see the fish, logic and reason don't always rule the day. And so it's nice to have parameters in place. Before everything gets gets electric, man. Before the yeah. adrenaline is running, man. I mean, yeah. I, I know that's how I would have to control myself. I'd have to make a deal with myself before it happened. All right, <laughs> this is your role, man. This is your role because you see that fish, and it is, as he was sort of alluding to in the beginning of the podcast, man. It is a love affair. It is a special fishery. You know, yeah. hard fighting, sight casting, hunting on the surface, good eating. It. I mean, it hits. It checks all the boxes. Yeah, man. So it was. It's interesting, you know. I and that's a, a conversation that you do have to have. The first time I ever went on a on a boat offshore or near shore, rather, 
somebody had me out there fishing for for Benita and stuff's blowing up. And some guy I just met 20 minutes ago was like, grab the wheel, drive the boat. I'm like, no, dude, this is like 60,000 plus probably way more than that thousand dollar boat. I'm like, I am not grabbing the wheel and doing anything. Like, no, I'm not even casting. Like, dude, these guys were wild and crazy. And I was like, Holy crap, this is nuts. But, but yeah, no one had that conversation with me to say, Hey, do you, you know how to drive a boat? Cause you're probably gonna have to do that at some point. I'm like, no, I, no one did. So, um, interesting, but yeah, man, that's a good show, Gary. Really appreciate it. And, uh, and appreciate bill there. I mean, great name, great dude, great company. So guys go support him and make sure you also support Marine Warehouse Center and Blaine Landscaping Co. Super great sponsor of the show supporting us here in 2022. So we really appreciate them uh, coming back on for the season. It's awesome. Yeah, man. Like I say, man, Marine Warehouse Center, sales, parts, service, you know, all of it, part of the fish and boating community. And again, I'm digging bland landscaping, their emphasis on attracting and keeping quality talent. I mean, for me, that's just a recipe for a company not only to work for, but to hire to take on whatever project you have, man. I, I, I love that relationship. I'm glad that they're looking to us to help them get the word out. Yeah, man. Absolutely. Well, Gary, we'll see you in the next one, man. Until then, good luck, Cobia fishing. Let me know if you catch one. Will we yeah, will we see a picture of Gary holding a Cobia in one of our photos of the week? Maybe. Hold on, I got one right here. Hold on. <laughs> yeah, you get a wall of them. Uh, one that you actually caught on your own boat with your own tackle. <laughs> I got How about that. that. I got that. <laughs> oh yeah, right. Somebody get this guy out of here. <laughs> I'm just messing. <laughs> All right, we'll talk to you later, Gary.